Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. This episode has been in the can for a while. It's one of the ones I referred to on my last episode as having been recorded for a few weeks and not yet being released. So I did everything in my power to get it done for today because after this, it's city season and it's the start of the Iron Maiden gigs, the British Lion gig, etc. So I'm happy to have this out. This is with my good friend George Solano from the Judas Priest cast. I'm sure you know him from there, if not from Twitter. He's very active on Twitter and very well-known, very well-liked. And we decided that we were going to do a series about the new wave of traditional heavy metal. It'll be something that'll be semi-regular. We'll have more episodes in the future. But for this one, we focus on an introduction to what the new wave of traditional heavy metal is. Who's involved in it? When did it start? What types of bands categorize themselves as it? How do we categorize other bands, like fringe bands, like Unto Others, things like that? Do they fit in there? And how can it be a wave if it's, if it's been running for about 15 years? We examine all of those types of questions, and we look at some of our favorite releases from the movement known as the new wave of traditional heavy metal. So we will count down, not really count down, but we will list our three favorite albums that we feel fit into that category or subgenre. I don't even know if it's a subgenre, a movement, let's say, in heavy metal over the last 15 or so years. So I'm about to clock out of work and I'll be off for the next week and a half. Really looking forward to meeting several people at Iron Maiden. If you see me at any of the gigs over in Dublin, Manchester, Glasgow, please feel free to come up and say hello if you like. And if you're in Dublin for Iron Maiden, I know a lot of people are traveling over for it. Please make sure to check out Sentinel Records in Temple Bar. It's on the basement floor underneath a barber's and it has a great selection of heavy metal vinyl you're not going to just find mainstream heavy metal there. You'll find things like Cyrodungal, Manila Road, that type of stuff. So it's run by a, a good man, Brian Tobe, also known as Scobes. Uh, it's run by a good bloke, uh, Brian Tobe, also known as Scobes, who's also doing a DJ set in Bruxelles the night before Iron Maiden on Saturday the 24th of June. So if you have a chance, definitely do pop in there. It's reasonably priced vinyl as well, and it's a great little shop in the heart of Dublin city centre. Okay, so let's get on with this episode. What is the new wave of traditional heavy metal? Here's George Solano to help explain it with me. All right, so I'm here with George from Judas Priest Cast, and this is actually, I just realised, the first proper uh, episode of Feckin' Metal you've ever been on, even though we've been friends for some time. And the reason I say proper is, of course, because we did record... A recap of Hell's Heroes from 2022. You, me, and Melissa from Metal Chat with Melissa. I'm sure people know who she is. It never ended up getting posted uh, because one, it was really long, over three hours, and two, I was so drunk by the end of it that it was virtually unlistenable. So, <laughs> welcome to Feck and Metal properly, George. It is great to make my mother Feck and debut today because Virgil, like you said, you've been a great friend, and to you listeners out there. When I first started podcasting, Virgil is one of the people who I went to to get some advice, and he was super helpful. So he gets a little bit of credit with helping me get started. And now that I get to be on one of the shows that I personally enjoy listening to, it's fun. Virgil, thanks for having me, man. Hey, you're very welcome. Uh, and what we are doing here is we decided that we are going to do uh, maybe semi-regular series about the new wave of traditional heavy metal uh, movement. Uh, most people recognize it as a movement anyway, uh, within heavy metal that both of us are big fans of and we're fans of artists that would be categorized as such. I've had several of them on my podcast, as have you um, as guests on 
previous episodes you've done. And we were thinking about focusing on particular bands, but maybe for the first episode, we're just going to do a bit of an introduction to the topic, which I'm sure people will be familiar with. But uh, at the same time, it's worth introducing and discussing how we first discovered it and what types of bands we started listening to. And when we realized, actually, that there was somewhat of a movement going on in metal that was basically what would you cut it what would you call it uh people drawing inspiration from the past but using it to make new music in the 2010s the 2020s finding something new within something old exactly yeah i actually stole the tagline from dream troll i don't know if you ever listened to them but um I stole it one time for Twitter and it was making the old sound new again. And Quinn from and Volume for All thought it was brilliant. I never acknowledged that it was from Dream Troll. So thanks, Dream Troll, <laughs> for that one. Dream Troll, they're pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of heavy metal slash video game music is the way I describe it. Uh, yeah. Went through a period of listening to them quite a lot. And then like a lot of these bands, just you just kind of forget about them, I find, because there's just literally so much music out there with... Physical releases, Bandcamp, Spotify, YouTube even, etc. It's very difficult, I think, to keep on top of everything that's going on. But I do like them. I did like them. And I'm sure I'll return to them at some point. Yeah, actually, I think there are a lot of bands that we're going to be returning to that we might be familiar with in the past. I've already got a few in mind who I think are episode worthy. I'm sure you do as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it. It's not a secret. The likes of Haunt, which we're both big fans of and have seen live a couple of times, uh, Night Demon, maybe Visigoth, uh, bands like that, or another band, Witch Hazel, who I've been listening to for a couple of years, but have really gotten into in the past few months, I'd say, to the point where I actually purchased their entire uh, vinyl discography there in a massive spending splurge the other day on Bandcamp. But uh, it was just one of those. Do you ever, like, I don't know if you do this, but I do this quite a lot. You, you'd be on something like Bandcamp and you'd have loads of items in the basket and you think about it for a minute and you decide to return to it when you're not in that kind of impulsive mode. And sometimes then I just remove everything from the basket. But this time I didn't. I, I filled the basket with stuff. It was like, I don't know how much. It was like 145 euro or something. I was like, I'll just think about this for a minute now. And then I went back to it. I was like, no, I, they really deserve my money. I want to buy all these albums. I'd only previously listened on Spotify. So um, after a certain point, I'm like, I need to spend some money on these people. Yeah, I'm with you. And these are the artists who I think they kind of need it. These guys are coming up in a time when it's harder than ever to make money as a musician you know the profits from touring and streaming they're steadily not they're steadily going down and if you have the means to buy a cd or a t-shirt directly from Bandcamp, or if you don't collect physical medium then even kick them a few dollars for that digital album because a lot of these people they're like us and they have to have jobs and music is just their passion. They don't make a living off of it. Mm, yeah. And what you'll find is very few of these bands that we would put in this subcategory, the new wave of traditional heavy metal are doing it full time and are earning money as a band. Most often it's a hobby and they have to work it around real life work schedules, etc. So uh, yeah, I've also in the past bought digital stuff from people, especially things like demos and things like that which is like, you know, the earliest music and often it's not available on other platforms except maybe Bandcamp. It's great, great kind of place. And there might even be a physical release in some cases, like uh, I think, well, maybe it was released 
eventually on cassette, but there was old Visigot demos that were only really available digitally. And it's, it's great to kind of be able to pick up those, throw them a few quid, etc. Yeah, agreed. I'm wearing my Burst Into Flames t-shirt right now. And oh, yeah. there's a digital Bandcamp version of this album, Burst Into Demos. And yes. some of those demos actually sound cooler in places than the finished songs. So you get those neat little gems on Bandcamp, like you're talking about. Yeah, and I know Seven Sisters released a demos version of Shadow of a Fallen Star. Recently, they were trying to raise money for... I think it was to do with the Black Heart in London, which is a pub and a music venue where, where I actually saw Visigot a few years ago, was trying to raise like a hundred grand to stay in business. And they released demos of their first or sorry, their, their latest album. And all the proceeds went to that. And the bar was actually rescued and was didn't have to shut down, which was brilliant. Um, But yeah, great things like that. But I just realized I never really got you to introduce yourself. I'm sure people probably know who you are. But you did mention Judas Priestcast, I think, or I did. But maybe if you want to just give a quick background on who George is and uh, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Whatever you normally do when you're guesting on people's podcasts. <laughs> well, my story goes back to 1990, but I wasn't born a metalhead. I got into metal. Um, around the mid 2000s and that's from listening to stuff in video games and cds that i inherited from my family and i was listening to stuff like acdc guns and roses iron maiden judas priest judas priest obviously was a big one and because i grew up on that kind of stuff the sound of new wave of traditional heavy metal it inherently has an appeal to me. Now, I know that you wanted to go into your background with this movement as well. I started to get a sense of old school heavy metal bands. They've always been around, but there were never a lot of them. And none of them reached a really high level of popularity or notability or got any sort of mainstream coverage. It wasn't until maybe the late 2010s where I started noticing more of these and I started noticing that they were getting some attention too. Like, for example, Haunt, whose shirt I'm wearing, they yep. were on the cover of Decibel Magazine mm. uh, off the back of the Luminous Eyes demo because the Luminous Eyes demo, that got that got shared by Fenris from Dark Throne who runs a very popular blog uh, where he does music recommendations. So that got Haunt some attention right away. And Decibel Magazine, they skew much more heavily towards heavier and death metal, like yeah. more extreme kinds of metal. So to, mm. to see them sort of switch gears and promote, hey, there's this newer, there are these newer artists who are playing the kind of soulful music that Black Sabbath and Ozzy played, and that's cool too. You know, that that was good to bring it to my attention and probably other people's attention as well, that there's something happening with this old school sound. And it did become a wave, I think, because after that, like 2018, 2019, I steadily became more aware of other bands doing this, like Eternal Champion, and Visigoth, and of course, Night Demon, they're popular as hell. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I fell into it because I just have always liked the sound, and I think that there needed to be more of it. And 
it, when you've listened to all the Judas Priest albums and Iron Maiden albums and they're not enough, you gotta keep searching for other bands to fill that hole in you that can only that can only be satisfied by more heavy metal. That's it, yeah. And it's it's like when I look back on my own history with heavy metal, the a lot of the bands you mentioned there were some of the first heavy rock bands that I listened to, Guns N' Roses, um, ACDC, etc. Then eventually uh, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. And I was kind of almost like, and then other ones like Rainbow, Dio, you know, things like that. But stuff that everybody listens to, Motorhead, um, never really gone too deep into anything beyond what was maybe a selection of 15 or so bands, Black Sabbath, obviously, Ozzy, that type of stuff that pretty much anyone would listen to if they got into heavy metal. And then it took me quite a long time to to go. Yeah, you have to have that home base to start with. Yeah. Like you need that solid foundation. And I feel like towards the beginning of my music listening, I was doing something pretty similar, like pretty insular, a small selection of bands I listened to. And just I wanted to hear their music over and over and over, though. Mm. So I think that's not so uncommon. Yeah, but then, you know, some other people are like, it's almost immediate that they get into Iron Maiden and then they go and they listen to Angel Witch and they go and they listen to Grim Reaper and then they listen to stuff that's even more obscure than that. And then they find out all the bands that Steve Grimmett was in and they go and they listen to all of those. And like, <laughs> I, I never really did that at the start. It, it took me years to get to the point where I was actually investigating uh, at a deeper level what else was out there, both in terms of newer bands that were coming out that would be categorized into the new wave of traditional heavy metal and then older bands that had been around for a long time but were very much not the ones that you'd hear about, you know, most commonly. You'd have to do a bit of digging for them. But when you do, when you when you kind of tap that vein, you realize there's such a rich history there in both older bands. And then, like, in the late 2010s, like you said, I realized, and as did you, that there was so much current music out there that was reviving the classic metal of the bands that we discovered. And you realize that, like, I, I, I quickly stopped spending so much of my time listening to the likes of Iron Maiden and even Judas Priest and things like that. And I was almost like, it was just like a whole new world had opened to me. And uh, that's still the case to this day. And I think, yeah, it was probably in the late 2010s. And I'm f trying to remember, I'm pretty sure Luminous Eyes was the first song I heard by what you would call a new wave of traditional heavy metal band. shared that with me and I have a feeling it was on Spotify and then it wasn't on Spotify for a while and then it was back on Spotify you might correct me if I'm wrong about that do you remember what was the first song that you heard that got you into it or made you realize maybe that there was a lot of newer bands out there making old sound old sounding music but you know modern take on it I don't know if Haunt really made the biggest impact on me the first time I heard it I think it took me a few listens but 
the song that I found that really did it for me, that made me feel like, wow, these guys might be the shit. They might actually be awesome. That song was Burst Into Flames. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of growth even between those two releases. I always loved the raw sound of Luminous Eyes and I kind of still think that that might be, might be my favorite haunt song. It was that it hit me so immediately and it was kind of like nothing else that I was hearing at the time. It was just very catchy and lo-fi production and immediate. And it's one of those songs that's immediate, but then it still rewarded repeated listens, even to this day, if I put that on now or if they play it live or if I see a video of them playing it live, even at a festival or something, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like, that's the fucking shit. Um, I was, oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. They opened with Luminous at Hell's Heroes this year and people were into the show immediately. And I do feel like that's a 10 out of 10 song. That's a lightning in a bottle classic of this sub movement of metal. Just oh, luminous eyes, like one of those songs that just comes along every once in a while and it hits you like, damn, that's a catchy, well-written song. Yeah. Um. Then I think around that time, I discovered the f- new wave of traditional heavy metal full albums YouTube channel. And I can't remember what brought me there. I feel like I was looking up something on YouTube and it came up as something came up as a suggested video. I can't really remember exactly what I was doing, but I do remember discovering full albums of bands like Eternal Champion, which weren't available on streaming platforms. And just the artwork of the Armour of Ire was enough for me. I was like, this is going to be brilliant. There's no question about it. Like, it's definitely going to be brilliant. then i remember discovering visigoth around then and around maybe maybe a bit later it was bands like night demon uh seven sisters things like that and that's what i'm talking about when i say you tapped the vein when you tap the vein of it you realize there's so much there uh it, and, and like to the point then it, it almost nearly became overwhelming i remember keeping track of that new wave of traditional heavy metal full albums channel and repeat new releases added to it nearly daily and you were looking at it going, how am I possibly supposed to keep on top of all this? And and I did what you referenced there and what we did when we were younger, which is I picked maybe five or six bands. I was like, right, I'm just going to listen to these ones because there's just too many. <laughs> and then kind of get really familiar with them and then maybe move on then after that. But so mine would have been like Visigoth, Night Demon, Seven Sisters, Haunt, probably Eternal Champion. And I kind of stuck with those for a while. I was like, right, I'm just going to get to know these ones because I don't know, it was overwhelming for for, for a period of time. Yeah, I could say Haunt really kept me coming back the most. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm a fanboy. I've got a ton of t-shirts. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. Like, independent of genre, independent of era. They're just one of my favorite bands. 
and they kept me coming back. But I also enjoyed searching out new bands. And something that helped me with that was the Hell's Heroes Festival. And mm. the first time I went was last year in 2022. And that was with you, Melissa, met some other people I knew. It was a great time. And that festival really helped me grow my palate within heavy metal because a lot of those bands I hadn't heard of and not a single one of them had I ever seen live before. So yeah. I had so much new stuff to look up and try out. And it was great to just have that tour poster saying, okay, here's 25 or 30 new names for you to check out, George. Yeah. And then you'll get to see them live. It really was like an eye opener. There were other bands on that bill that I, I, had I seen any of them. I had seen probably a couple, but a couple of the older bands I'd seen before, but not really any of the the new wave of traditional metal bands. But like bands on that, like Haunt, Summerlands, uh, High Spirits, Night Demon, Solicitor, uh, who else? Saber, Warcloud, Lady Beast. There was just it was just a who's who of up and coming. Uh, traditional metal bands and young bands as well or That's younger right. bands uh, and I think I saw you mentioning it recently when you were talking about this year's Hell's Heroes I'm jumping ahead a bit here but you mentioned how much energy the likes of somebody like Riot City had on stage and I remember uh, absolutely specifically how much energy Jarvis Letterby had on stage from Night Demon and Trevor and these are men in their 40s let's not paint them as being like you know little upstarts or whatever like but they're still a good 20 right. 25 years younger than a lot of other bands that both of us would be big fans of or even more than that and yeah just to seeing the energy on stage the enthusiasm there how much they move around when they play and it, it was just a breath of fresh air, seeing so many bands like that in a row for days. It was just like, yeah, for me, it was eye-opening as well. Even though I was kind of deep into it at the time, it was still eye-opening. Yeah, we could talk a lot about Hell's Heroes if we wanted to, because it's a great representation of this sort of movement at large. I feel like the people who listen to this kind of traditional heavy metal, the ones that I've met and interacted with, they tend to be a crowd of good folk. They're very nice at Hell's Heroes. I didn't run into any anyone who I would say was a jerk. People were pretty friendly and open to talking to new people. And I, I had a great time, largely because of that. In addition to how great the music was, there was also a positive energy and a good vibe all around. Yeah, I mean, that's something I notice with metal shows in general. For the most part, the crowds are usually really nice people, people that you would want to associate with and people you feel comfortable around, safe around, and generally you feel a good vibe from. Uh, and Hell's Heroes was no different to that. It was just a sea of people who are like-minded, who are there to have a good time and to watch a load of these bands. And I noticed like there was no real age profile there as well. You'd see people in their 60s, 50s, right down to people who were probably going to their first ever festival, um, same with the bands, you know, we talked about a lot of the younger bands, but there was a lot of older bands as well, like your Riot, Candlemas, uh, that type of thing. Um, so there was a lot of different age and Syrah Ungol as well. Um, but there, the age kind of was across the board uh, of the bands and the and the artists. But generally, yeah, the, the type of people that these events attract is uh, it's always heartening when you go to something like that and you're like, yeah. Uh, just as I expected, these people are sound and they're really friendly and welcoming. And, you know, it's it's always brilliant that end of it as well as the music. 
Right. It's a good scene. And we are we are fortunate to live in the social media age where we can be more connected to the artists than ever. Mm. And you know that Trevor Church, he's friends with everyone. Mm. And a lot of these bands are at the level of popularity where they have a small enough following that they can get to know their fans a little bit on an individual level. And they're young enough that they're sort of social media savvy and they enjoy going on their Twitter or their Facebook and talking to people. And that's not really something you could ever hope to get with the likes of Iron Maiden or Saxon or Def Leppard. Mm. We don't live in that age. And they're also just way beyond that level of popularity where they could ever get to know their fan base on that much of an intimate level. Yeah, um, I remember chatting to Jarvis Letterby about this, uh, not the most recent time I spoke to him, but maybe the time before. And I was mentioning that to him. And that's what sets this scene or sub scene apart from the bigger bands, of course. Like I, I, was, I remember, I was, actually, I'm going to sidetrack myself here for a bit, but I was talking to my, my mother there a while ago and she was asking me like, with how much times I've seen Iron Maiden, would you get to know the band or anything like that? I was like, oh no, absolutely not. Like you could never really ever meet them. I mentioned that like Steve Harris does his own smaller gigs and you might meet him, but like that the band would be completely off limits. Um, But she's used to me like doing podcasts and stuff like that. So she just thinks all this shit is normal now. Um, But uh, <laughs> but I remember talking to Jarvis and saying, what sets the likes of Night Demon and Haunt and things like that or Oath or whoever apart from uh, the bigger acts is that while Candlemas might be playing on the same bill as um, Night Demon, you won't really be DMing with uh, Johan Lanquist any like anytime soon. But like, you can send Jarvis a message, and he'd probably reply to you. And he was like, "Yeah, but do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing?" And I remember at the time being taken aback by saying, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Do you think overall that because these people are so accessible, that's a good thing or a bad thing?" And at the time, I was like, "I'm not sure actually, because there's good and bad." associated with it good in that these people are accessible and you can interact with them which is great as a fan but then kind of bad in the way that it removes a bit of the mystique from musicians and they don't continue then to be these larger than life personalities that are out of reach like you're never going to get chatting to geezer butler or i don't know tony iomi but you might chat to who like trevor church or whoever like and uh it, i think there is a an element of uh hey we're all buddies we're all mates you know and it kind of maybe slightly, I think, might remove some of the mystique of bands that are larger than life and out of reach. Bands that are larger than life and out of reach. It just doesn't seem like that's the trend in this day and age because when it's not too often a band in the genre of metal or rock gets to that level of popularity, mm. you know, it's not a genre that has remained in mainstream consciousness. It's more of a niche thing now than it ever has been rock was maybe the biggest thing in the world from the 60s through the 90s but i would say it's definitely overtaken by pop rap and country in the public eye like and i'm speaking strictly for the u.s because i can't speak for anywhere else mm. but a rock is like at best a distant fourth behind pop country and rap you know same here well yeah country and not as much as the US but still Garth Brooks can sell out five 
nights of an 80,000 seater stadium. So yeah, it's pretty big in Dublin as well. Um, okay. Yeah. But like, I suppose my, my, my thinking there was if you build your fan base and if you build your brand on the idea of accessibility and fan interaction, can you ever progress beyond a certain level? Because at some point, Haunt might become too popular for Trevor to be DMing all his fans and to be posting up Facebook live chats and individually calling out everybody who comments on the chat and, uh, you know, interacting with people on the Haunt fan group. And I would imagine that he probably hopes for that level of success, but he's built such a framework now and it has put it in place of like, yeah, I interact with all my fans and it only takes two minutes out of your day to say something to a fan. But like, let's say all of a sudden the Haunt fan group has 100,000 members in it. That's just, that's not going to be possible. Or not even 100,000, that's ridiculously. But let's say I had 37,000 people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, I know you're inventing a scenario, but let's be honest, like, sometimes, sometimes that's possible. All it takes is a big break. Mm. Like, all it would take is some uh, some popular TikTok or Instagram influencer somewhere posting up a haunt song and it going viral, like like you saw last year with Ghosts, uh, Mariana. Oh Cross. yeah, yeah, the slowed down version. Right, and again, in this sort of internet age, you're someone could be just one big break away from blowing up especially if you already have songs that are approachable enough for the mainstream to catch on to like electrified or luminous eyes mm. so it, yeah it's i know you're inventing a scenario but i also see it as something that might happen or at least it's not impossible and yeah i mean if you have 50,000 people who are now fans and they want to send you a DM and get to know you. You just don't have the time to respond to all of that. And you, you can outgrow your, you can outgrow the position you're in where you get that close knit community. That said, I don't feel like there's any Nuatham band yet who that has happened to. No, I wouldn't say there is either. I'm just wondering if you build something in a particular way, how would you deal with the fallout of that gaining that popularity? But I suppose it remains to be seen. And yeah, it is a fictitious scenario, fictional. Um, but I just, as these things come into my head. Right. Fictional, but not impossible, as I said. Not impossible, no. Um, so I was going to ask you, do you remember when you first heard the phrase? And this is something I've asked many interviewees on my own podcast. Or, well, this is my own podcast. Sorry. This is something I've asked many interviewees in the past. Uh do you remember when you first heard the phrase new wave of traditional heavy metal and subcategory? And I'll answer this myself as well. Do you think it is actually a scene worthy of being put out on its own? In terms of creating a new label for a new genre, it, it isn't really a new genre because it's so steeped in what came before. It is traditional heavy metal and it's a new wave because we're just getting a lot more of it in these past few years than we have before so yeah it's it's a movement and you can tell based on the amount of new albums that have come out by traditional heavy metal bands and the amount of attention they're getting like it would be it would be inaccurate to say that it's not a wave 
I think it very much is. Is it a new genre? It, it's not a new genre. Mm. So I'll tell you the first time that I heard the term Nwatham or N-W-O-T-H-M for you people who haven't heard that. So it, it was from the Nwatham Full Heavy Metal Albums channel. And I looked at that and I'm like, oh, oh, this is a whole thing. Yeah. Very interesting. And I was following the Nwatham Full Albums page on Facebook as well which is a good follow because every week or every month they'll rank the top 20 most listened albums. Yeah. And that can be a really good tool for sort of sorting through uh, what are the absolute most important things to check out because you'll see albums like Armor of Ire that never, ever leave the chart. Doesn't go away, does it? <laughs> it's just always there. <laughs> Yeah, and that's how you know yeah. people are still listening to it over and over. It, there's something there. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, and it's great to introduce you to upcoming releases. I'm just having a look at the page here. So the new Smolder one is upcoming. Uh, Bloodstar, first full album, I think, is coming out. There's a new... I've got that one ordered on Bandcamp. Yeah. Um, Century. They were a Hell's Heroes band last year, too. Century, they were there this year. Did you watch them, actually? Yeah, uh, they were surprising to me. I hadn't listened to them much before, and when I saw them live, I thought they were good. Yeah, Smolder didn't actually play Hell's Heroes last year, though, but they had to pull out at the last minute, or shortly before. Right, we didn't get to see Smolder, no. but that new album, I've heard from a couple people who have had it, yeah. that it is going to smoke. Which I was I was just looking there to see what's in the top 20 at the moment, but I'm, I'm finding it hard now scrolling through this uh, to find the most recent post about that. Actually, I don't see one in several months. Maybe he doesn't do it anymore. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, great, great asset to keep track of things that are going on. And I find the model of just picking a couple of ones you like and going into them is probably easier than trying to keep on top of everything. But there are some people who seem to keep on top of everything. I just wonder how they fit it into their lives uh, people at the end of the year publishing, you know, my top 250, that type of thing. I just, I'm always taken aback by that. That's not easy. When you have 250, how do you even order them? How do you know all of them well enough to put them in any kind of order? Yeah. But uh, that's, that's another argument for another day. I know. Uh, yeah. It, I, I'm with you. Like, it's hard to hear everything and... We live in an era where there's so much music that you have to pick and choose and you can't hear it all. And we're we're living through the first generation where that's really a thing. Mm. You know, before this, you only had so much money to spend on records or yeah. cassettes or whatever was the or iTunes downloads, whatever was the form of music listening the tangible kind of uh thing you could spend your money on exactly right and you only had so much money and you couldn't hear everything because we just didn't have the unlimited access that we do now yeah uh, it is definitely a different age different era i do try to spend a lot of time with stuff to really get to know it i've been listening to a good bit of manila road recently and I bought a, an album Mystification on vinyl a while back. Hadn't even cracked the plastic in it. And I was like, I need to put this on. And um, I'd listened to bits of it on Spotify, but like we all know what Spotify is like. You, you know, it's just a feast of everything and it's hard for anything to actually make a connection with you sometimes. But um, 
I put it on and I just listened to side one five times in a row. Like I haven't actually haven't done that in so long, but that's the kind of thing I would have done in the past. It's like, I'm going to really get to know side one. Then I'll worry about side two um, and then just continue from there. Yeah, that's something that I've been trying to do in the past few years. Try to get to know music better. And I think this was spurred on after I saw Iron Maiden play The Legacy of the Beast. And I went on a deep binge of their music and I was checking out the old albums that I hadn't spent enough time with. And then I realized I, I wish that I was getting to know other bands this same way, listening to these albums multiple times, really setting the songs into my head so I can remember them instead of just experience music as a passenger driving by. I want to get to know it. And I've continued that attitude into my love of the new wave of traditional heavy metal. And I find myself listening to albums by Haunt and Screamer and High Spirits multiple times over because I want the songs to sink into my head. Like I want to be able to get in my car a couple months later, turn on the song after not having heard it in a while and still be able to remember and sing along to the chorus. Mm, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the dream. And the thing is about going to a festival like Hell's Heroes, and I, I'll ask you about this year's lineup in a minute. Uh, but it, 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 there was a, for me, there was this also kind of a mild bit of frustration attending all those gigs at it as well, because the music was somewhat familiar to me in many cases, but not so that I could sing along with it. And I, that, I, that annoys me. Well, like when I'm at a gig, it's like I want to be able to sing along to all of the songs and really get into it. But I was listening to maybe Sabre or somebody or I uh, can't even like whoever, you know, where you'd listen to their stuff a few times, but not to the point where it really, really hooked you. And I was like, oh, I kind of recognize this song. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't really know it that well. So and was that just time and time and time again over that entire weekend, even though it was brilliant music and I, I loved it. It was kind of just like, oh, I wish I knew this a bit better. Yeah, realistically, you can only really get to know a few of your favorite bands that well, I would say. Like, I knew all the Night Demon songs, and I knew all the Haunt songs, but I didn't know, I didn't really know everything from Visigoth when I saw them this year, but mm. I still had a great time just as a passenger going along for the ride, and sometimes that experience encourages you to get to the point where oh i'm gonna listen more next time i see them i'm gonna know all the words yeah exactly um and just to go back to the thing i asked you earlier i said i'd answer it myself as well um obviously it's not a new genre yeah i wasn't even really getting at that i suppose but i was thinking did it did it warrant standing out as a movement on its own i think you answered that very well and i agree with what you said is that there are so many bands coming around and there's so many good ones as well that it definitely is a new wave. Um, and it's all been in a, in close proximity. Like I'd say the last 10 to 15 years, I don't know how to, maybe even longer than 15 years. I know people were trying to say maybe Enforcer or White Wizard uh, were probably around a bit before some of the others and maybe got things kickstarted or... Um, yeah, like I said, there, there have always been bands kind of trying to do it. Like, and then there's others like twisted tower dire in the in the 2000s three inches of blood three was around blood, in the 2000s yeah. but it, it wasn't a wave because the wave came in i think in the late 2010s when there started being a lot more bands popping out of the woodwork 
and a lot more fans paying attention to like if you take a look at the scene of traditional heavy metal festivals there's been new ones popping up around the u.s and in europe as well and it seems like these a lot of these bands i think their fan bases have been growing in the past few years yeah, definitely. And it's really interesting for me to see things popping up in the US. It seems like there's quite a few now, but Trevor's Own Festival, of course, as well as another one on this year. Um, but I've seen quite a few. And traditionally, like people in the US often would complain that they don't get as good uh, an option of festivals to go to as maybe like people who live in Europe. Like there's always traditional metal stuff going on in uh, Germany, Greece, uh, right? Um, Sweden, whatever, with muscle rock and all that. But um. Yeah, and but I've seen a few pop up now as well, which is is really interesting because, uh, well, firstly, it was great to attend Hell's Heroes, obviously, but there's enough bands now that there, are, you know, that a festival can exist. Like most of those ones we saw at Hell's Heroes last year were US based bands that don't really travel over to the UK or Europe much. That's um, right. And then like a lot of the ones that keep it true would be more European based bands, with some exceptions. But like it's it's great that there's enough of these bands worldwide to fill festivals both sides of the Atlantic. Right. You know, the other side of that equation is these small festivals can be a lot more economically practical and beneficial to the smaller bands than going out on tour. And this is something that I've learned just talking to Deb from Lady Beast and Trevor from Haunt, who both are festival organizers as well. And a lot of bands get the chance to perform for a bigger crowd uh, when they're at a festival. At a festival, you'll get just a thousand or so people who are there to watch anyone and everyone. When you go to a festival, the general attitude, I think, is let's have a good time. Let's be open to checking out some new bands and let's blow all our money on merch and beer. And so those festivals, they're they're a good (laughs) moneymaker for bands and touring as in the form of old tours or i should say in the form of traditional style countrywide tours where you're driving from fucking arizona to texas for eight hours with nothing in between spending a load on gas eating crappy food and that's becoming less profitable whereas festivals Mm. are a bigger opportunity and i think you're seeing more of them pop up in localized regions in the past few years because it's a good way for bands to keep themselves going yeah yeah definitely and i mean i i'm probably similar to you i will throw a shitload of money towards merch um these things but i love doing it because first the the festival t-shirt is often great and you definitely want to have it as a memento but then you'll have like i love i'm a sucker for band t-shirts with dates on the back and i just think it lifts a t-shirt design by miles um and you're gonna get a lot of those and things like that and those are real mementos you know um where you can point to the date and be like i was at that um and you just don't get a lot of those uh unless you actually go well you don't really get them unless you go to the event and i wouldn't want to wear it unless i was at the event either so it's a great reason to spend more money on merch um when you're at something like that yeah i'm with you like last time i was at a maiden show i was thinking to myself do i really need another iron maiden t-shirt 
but when they had the one with like my exact date on it and a New York themed design, then yeah. I said, uh, okay, they roped me back in. I know. Yeah. I think at, um, I saw seven sisters and haunt in Ottawa and, uh, I bought two seven sisters t-shirts and two haunt t-shirts, but the, the haunt one was like West coast meets the West end, which was great artwork actually. Um, so I bought that in white and in black, both had the dates on the back. And the Seven Sisters one, one of them might have been plain. I think the other one had the dates, but I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll just like, you know, I was away on holidays anyway. I was like, why not? But, um, the one thing I was going to ask you as well. Uh, so we talked a bit about Hell's Heroes. Obviously, it's a great festival to catch a load of new wave of traditional heavy metal bands, as well as old school traditional heavy metal bands. And last year was excellent. I mentioned some of the bands that we got to see. I have the lineup here in front of me again. But I, I pretty much mentioned all of the main highlights. Other ones that I didn't mention, I think Savage Master, Screamer, Traveler, uh, Bewitcher. Uh, but yeah, just a really great kind of who's who, along with then the likes of, I don't think S Satan didn't play, did they? know? but Riot were there, uh, Dark Angel, etc. Slaufeg. Um, How did you find this year's festival compared to last year's? Mm, fantastic. And you can pretty much always expect the lineup to be good. There was a little yeah. tiny bit of overlap, a few bands that played two years in a row, but a lot of it was new. And some of them were bands that I've been meaning to see for a while. So my highlights this mm. year, Sonia, Visigoth, Riot City, Silver Talon, and onto others. Night Demon and Haunt reappeared, and they're always a good time. Uh, Tower I saw for the first time. They're a great up-and-comer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've listened to them a bit. Their album in 2021, Shock to the System, that got a lot of praise. So that's one to keep an eye on for sure. Did you watch Freeways by any chance? I didn't catch too much of them. I was staking out a good spot for uh, Unto Others, I think. Right, okay. And Gatekeeper, did you have a look at them? Gatekeeper, yep. Gatekeeper's a great band. They were fun live. And Jeff Black, he is another guy in this scene who's friends with everyone. And he was at the festival all three days, even though he was playing Friday. He was there Thursday and Saturday as well, just hanging out, talking to everyone. I said hi to him. He gave me a guitar pick. And that's the sort of vibe that we were talking about where everyone's friendly and the bands are approachable because a lot of them they are like us where they're fans of the other bands and they want to watch them too yeah 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 i know i remember um chatting to uh i was trying to organize a podcast and never got it to happen but uh 
chatting to Jason Tarpey from Eternal Champion about Hell's Heroes, and he was saying the organizer who was in Night Cobra, I can't remember his name. Christian Varson, I believe. Right, yeah. He's like, he's a, he's a good buddy of mine. Every year when he's putting the lineup together, he just asks me what I'm currently listening to, and I just list off a lot of bands, and he books them. <laughs> oh, like, that's, that's cool. He books, a lot, he books a lot of them, basically. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, for US-based listeners, I would fully recommend Hell's Heroes if you're into this kind of music and if you like some of the bands we mentioned when we were throwing out a few names this is a great place to go to see a lot more of them um i agree another good festival is keep it true in germany if you're uh, eu based or you want to go on a big holiday and i'm just looking at uh, keep it true rising which was the first one i went to in november of 21 but even at that and the, the festival is more geared towards older kind of legacy bands but even at that there was the Night Eternal, Century, Megaton, Sword, uh, Seven Sisters, Wheel, Tentation, who actually couldn't show up there, French band, uh, Atlantean Codex as well. I don't know if you put them in New Wave of Traditional Heavy Metal or not. They might have been around a bit before. But anyway, lots of younger up-and-coming bands who are part of that movement. And it's a it's a great place to go to see people like that. So festivals are like healthy on both sides of the Atlantic at the moment. So overall, would you rate Hell's Heroes better than last year or how how would it fare yeah i am gonna give it uh i am gonna give it a thumbs up for being better this year than last year and i talked about this with melissa on an episode we just recorded we recapped our hell's heroes from this year together but yeah i overall yeah i rate i rate this year's higher and that's not even specifically to do with the band lineup like that almost to me is independent like mm. i know it's good every year but in terms of the experience like they listened to all the feedback that people had from last year and yeah they opened up the outdoor stage that they didn't have last year they uh improved the food options they they had the festival grounds just super clean and they allowed re-entry all day so you could leave and come back if you had to and that made a big difference because it just it took away some annoyances and it let you just focus on having fun yeah okay yeah it sounds great like i mean the food thing was uh, an issue last year the outdoor stage i mean i thought it was a no-brainer although i think it was mentioned that you know thunderstorms are, are prominent in the area so it's a risk to have the outdoor stage at all but uh, it seemed like it went all right this year anyway but yeah i would have loved if that had been opened i mean it was the one thing i remember everybody saying is like why don't they use that big bloody area outside <laughs> it was just kind of now, it was great because running between... you remember from last year they had all of the merch tents out there and the food was out there and a lot of people were just milling about socializing and when you have the outdoor stage open you can do all that stuff and still hear the music really well so mm. it's fantastic that's it exactly you don't have to miss any bands yeah I was going to ask you, did they use the upstairs a smaller room at all? I'm guessing not. They did during the pre-party. Oh, yeah. So the first night, Thursday, was considered the pre-party. And that was when they were using both the downstairs and the upstairs with bands alternating sets between each. So you're still going up and down the stairs, but only one out of the three days. Okay. Yeah, very good. All right. Um, okay. So look, uh, this is really just an intro into what will become a semi-regular series uh, within Feck and Metal, where we look at some of their our favorite new wave of traditional heavy metal bands, maybe give some recommendations, that type of thing. So on that note, um, 
we've mentioned a lot of artists who we consider part of this movement and some of our favorites, but are, are there any particular albums that you think would stand out uh, to recommend to somebody, maybe even at this juncture, that represent to you the best of the new wave of traditional heavy metal? The best of the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Okay. You think we should both pick three of them? Maybe pick three, yeah. Okay. So how about I do one and you do one? Sure. And then we'll trade off. Okay. okay. All right. First album that I want to recommend, Live Darkness by Night Demon. And I don't think it's cheating to include a, li a live album. Mm. A, because I think Night Demon are so much better live yes. than on the record. And their records are good, but live, they're bloody fantastic. And Live Darkness has a great selection of songs from their career, most of their early discography. So to me, that's like the no-brainer, definitive Night Demon release. Go for Live Darkness. It's a classic live album. The band has tons of energy. Absolutely. I would agree with you 100%. And I love Jarvis's uh, logic on releasing that album at all. And people were saying, well, you only had two studio albums, you know, and a, a whatever, an EP. Uh, isn't that too soon to release a live album? And he said, no, because bands uh, from the past traditionally didn't release a live album until there were four or five albums into their career. And as a result of that, you don't get a live documentation of the early songs of bands very often, unless they choose for some reason to go and play those songs later in the career, which doesn't often happen. There's some exceptions, obviously, with Iron Maiden and the early days and all that, which actually wasn't even officially released anyway, so it's irrelevant. But uh, yeah, and I thought that was great logic because you get to hear the stuff from the original Night Demon EP and the stuff which will eventually become the deep cuts from the first two albums. Um, and they'll eventually, and they already have started, cutting those songs from the set. So it's great to have a documentation of something so early in the career. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And there's even stuff on that album that you might not get elsewhere. Like they have that cover of that midnight song with Athenar. And so mm. that's like a totally original piece. That's not on a night demon studio album. Uh, I am a big fan of live albums in general when you've heard the songs so many times, it's nice to get an alternative version. But in the case of Night Demon, I think that a lot of these songs are just amped up and improved live too. Yeah, very good. Okay, uh, so it's my turn. I'm going to go with The Revenant King by Visigoth uh, out in 2015. And actually, I didn't really listen to that until after I'd listened to the second one, I don't think. After my initial kind of exposure to some new wave of traditional heavy metal bands. I remember I went out and I purchased The Conqueror's Oath, Visigoth's second album. I purchased The Armor of Ire and I purchased the first Summerlands album or Sumerlands, as I've heard some people call them. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Uh, but I bought all those on vinyl in the one go. But I really actually prefer the first Visigoth album more. The song The Revenant King is just epitomizes the band for me. They always play it live. It's so fucking good, catchy, heavy, 
one one thing that I noticed about Visigoth, and I mentioned it to Jake when I interviewed him over two years ago, is there are so many hooks in their songs, but it doesn't also veer into the area of sounding like it's forced, if you know what I mean. It's just they're such good songwriters, even very early in their career. So there'd be like a there would be a catchy verse, then there'd be a pre-chorus, then it'd be the chorus, then it'd be a post-chorus. And all of these are different melodic hooks. And that's what I love about the band so much. The, the guitar is great, the singing is great, but they're so laden with hooks. It makes the songs impossible to ignore, instantly memorable, and you want to go back and keep listening to them. So... things to mention on that album are the song Iron Brotherhood which is really just a song about heavy metal but it's a bloody great one to sing along to when you're uh, watching Visigoth live and you really get into it and you feel like you are the Iron Brotherhood <laughs> which you are because that's what it was written yes. about the fans and bands uh, and then there's a actually a cover of uh, Necropolis by Manila Road which is a really good cover um, possibly odd to include on your debut album in the middle of an album but anyway uh, it's a good one and just in general the the songs are just excellent and it's probably my favorite Nawadham album of all I think it's very worthy of being placed that high I agree with you Visigoth has great hooks and those songs are tremendous fun to sing along live all right then we go on to your next one yep I'm going with Unto Others and their most recent album Strength Mm. Strength I think is the strongest set of songs they've written yet and I think they're going to the next level. Onto Others makes a great representation of how bands are finding new things to do with these sort of old sounds. And you'll listen to Onto Others, and it's heavily steeped in goth rock and goth metal. And some people might be turned off because of the gothicness for me. That just makes them more interesting because it's definitely something different. So you'll get the the sort of melancholy vocals and then you'll keep listening and they'll they'll throw in a guitar bridge that sounds like it was lifted right out of an Iron Maiden song. And that part is just equally cool to me. So like Mm. they're taking these sounds and merging them and even adding in things that you wouldn't hear on 80s metal like some really brutal uh let's say double bass drumming as well so yeah. they're they're throwing in the modern techniques and i think onto others they have musically a lot to offer and live they're so energetic and happy and they have a unique stage presence that i think to me signals that they're almost there they're ready to move to the next level and become a much bigger band
And do you know, well, a couple of things that came to me there, three things, actually, sorry. (laughs) Um, One, one, I will say, if there is a band that we've mentioned on this episode tonight that is going to become a bigger success than just the new wave of traditional heavy metal scene, I think they are the front runner because there's so much crossover, as you said, and the songs are just so you could I could imagine them on the radio. Um, and I don't think I could imagine too many. I couldn't imagine Visigoth on daytime radio. Like, that's just not going to happen. But I think onto others could creep onto the radio, creep into the singles chart even. If the right people heard it, if the timing was right, all that type of stuff. So I'd say... Right, just like we were talking about. And yeah. if it's if it's the right song that's single-worthy, something like Downtown, like, you yeah. couldn't put a song like Heroin on the radio. No, no. But, like, something like Can You Hear the Rain? That could creep yeah. onto the radio oh, yeah. in a heartbeat. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was: Are we calling them new wave of traditional heavy metal? <laughs> I wasn't. I wouldn't be certain myself. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, they've got enough overlap. I think. I think there's enough of that sound in in enough of their songs. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's worthy of asking the question. Because mm. there's also a lot of goth, and they drift heavily towards that side too. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're in this scene, of course, because the members of Unto Others before they started this band, well, it used to be called Idle Hands. Yeah, but before that, they were all in Spellcaster, mm-hmm. who was firmly in the traditional heavy metal. Oh, genre. absolutely, yeah, but very different sounding to Idle Hands or Unto Others. Um, I remember doing my yes. whole. Um, deep dive into them about a year ago and I went to see them around the same time as well and really got into them and they're, they're fantastic but um, there is a lot of the kind of goth sounding stuff but they do happen to appear at all of these festivals and even Idle Hands when they were called that appeared to keep it true a few years ago so I suppose you could say yeah they are and they do belong there Um, okay the next one I'm going to pick probably be a surprise to no one is The Cauldron and the Cross by Seven Sisters one of my favourite bands I'm just going to say ever, uh, including all the classic bands um, that I mentioned when I first got into heavy rock music. But Seven Sisters have got up there as well. And The Cauldron on the Cross is not their most recent album. It's their second full album, which was released in 2018. Uh, Actually, a concept album about the era of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Obviously, King Arthur was a mythological mythological figure. But anyway, um, and the battle between religion and witchcraft that was ongoing at the time and uh, how obviously both of them can't really coexist because they're just at odds with one another. And that might sound interesting in itself, but the music is even more interesting, uh, particularly the two title tracks, The Cauldron and the Cross Part 1 and The Cauldron and the Cross Part 2. And if you ever see them live, they often play these as a big, long piece of music that's over 15 minutes long, 16 minutes even. Those are just epics of the standard of Seven Son of a Seventh Son type songs, I would say. I would put them up there with that, the quality, the songwriting. Again, the hooks, the singing. Kyle McNeil has quite a unique voice. And the dual guitar, steeped in Tin Lizzy, steeped in Iron Maiden, um, and steeped in Nawabam as well, I'd say. And just one of my favourite albums, and I would highly recommend it to anyone who likes heavy metal.
right. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I like Seven Sisters as well. And when I saw them live last year in September, opening up for Haunt, I was very, very impressed. Uh, I liked them before I saw them. Mm. I loved them after I saw them live. And mm. I bought their newest album on CD, Shadow of a Fallen Star Part 1, which yeah. I think is really a terrific album as well. But uh, Cauldron of Cauldron and the Cross, it's also great. They haven't released anything that I don't think is good. No, and I just think in terms of songwriting, maybe the first album wasn't as good just because they were on their first album. Like you, it might I'd use it as a comparison, maybe between Iron Maiden, as in the self-titled album, and the Number of the Beast. They just got better when as they went along. So I would probably rank the order of the albums as Cauldron and the Cross, Fallen Star, and self-titled in that order <laughs> but uh yeah i just uh i, t I think the live absolutely they're they're excellent live when i saw them in september they dedicated the cauldron the cross to me from the stage that was a very special moment <laughs> oh that is quite nice yeah i mean heartwarming story virgil the, the joke was they dedicated it to me because i traveled all the way from Ireland to Canada to see that gig, which obviously didn't. And they're like, oh, I mean, we know your friend's getting married as well, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, okay, all right. So we'll go on to your third one then, and uh, I can finish up then on mine. Yeah, man, I'm having a real hard time choosing. Sorry, I completely sprung this on you. I had written it down here myself on my phone notes, but I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the first two were easy, yeah. but now now that I feel like I only have one more choice, the pressure's mm. on. Sorry, but okay. you know you know me. Like, I don't, I'm not a big ranker. I've said this many times. It yeah. doesn't ex necessarily have to be something. I'm not going to hold this up in a court of law in three years and say, George, you said this was the best fucking album. I know you changed your mind. Um, but just something. Well, I'm just thinking of fine. an introduction. Like, I know there's new people who are listening yeah. to Feckin' Metal recently, and they mightn't have listened to all those old episodes where I interviewed a lot of these bands years ago. So just as a kind of a primer, maybe, for people. Okay. Uh, I know who I want to bump. I, I would say that the third and final album I need to promote right now would be Loud Arriver by Sonja. And this album mm -hmm. kind of struck the metal scene like a meteor at the end of 2022 when it dropped. And I had never, ever heard of this band. I don't think many people had, but off the backs of some really positive reviews in metal blogs and metal magazines, I started noticing a lot of folks on Twitter putting Sonya up into their top albums of 2022 mm. and mm. giving it a lot of talk. And I, I heard it and I loved it right from the get-go. Now, Sonya obviously is notable because they have a transgender female vocalist and that's mm -hmm. not something that you can hear too often now regardless of the level of how influential that is the music also is kick-ass and it's got a dreamy occulty witchy vibe to it and the whole album is sort of steeped in that in a sonic mist i want to call it so it can really take you places if you are in an elevated state and you're giving it a deep listen and it's only a 32 minute long album which to me makes it pretty easy to digest and re-listenable and 
I'll say again, this album kind of came out of nowhere and made a big impact on me and a bunch of other people I'm friends with. So I think that's an album I can wholeheartedly recommend. Very good. Um, and I think you promoted Sonia on Twitter maybe a while ago or possibly when the Hell's Heroes lineup was announced or something coming from you anyway. And I hadn't really heard of the band and I went and put on a couple of songs and did like them. And I did notice it coming up on those 2022 lists as well. It popped out. Uh, I'll go and listen to that full album because I don't think I've listened to it in full. So based on that, I'll go and listen to it and uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> it sounds like a, I'm going to enjoy it though. Um, yeah, and the transgender lead singer thing is, is good as well. It just shows the progress that's been made in in not just society, but heavy metal, I suppose, as a subsection of society that, you know, from the outside looking in, people would think it it might be a bit exclusive or it might be a bit uh, discriminatory, I suppose. Um, but it's not really. It's not at all. Like, And that's a great example. And I suppose it's a it's a milestone, really, in that well, kind sure. of way and as well. There's the room was packed at Hell's Heroes for their set and the audience reception was you know, uproaring. People were clapping and cheering and they got a great reception. I'll go on to my last one now, and this is a more recent release, so the other two are a few years old, but a band I mentioned earlier on in the episode that I've really got into recently, and that's Witch Hazel, and I am picking their album three, uh, Pentecost, as my favorite Witch Hazel album because it's just full of hits, and uh, it's fantastic, and if you've never listened to Witch Hazel before... You might be surprised if you do listen to them that their lyrics are very heavily Christian based and generally about God and fighting off the devil and, you know, um, rejecting Satan and that type of thing. But don't let that put you off. Don't let it put you off any more than you might let lyrics about Satan put you off listening to Iron Maiden, because it's while it's the theme of their songs, the body of their main body of their songs. And I don't really have much time for organized religion at all. Uh, it doesn't detract away from the fact that it's excellent music. And I reckon it's probably just a bit of a gimmick as much as other kind of things are gimmicks for other bands. But it allows them to have something to focus on when writing their songs. And the songs themselves are excellent and shouldn't be overlooked just because of worries you might have about them being religiously themed. I will sing along to somebody singing Satan, you have no hold on me just as much as I can sing along to Number of the Beast. But... uh. That album in particular, Three, Pentecost, is was out in 2020. It's their most recent album, although I have a couple of singles out now from their upcoming album. But Three, I would highly recommend, uh, are I Am Redeemed, Spirit and Fire, and He Is the Fight. Catchy as be damned. They're like the, the love child of 
Jethro Tull and Wishbone Ash uh, with a bit of Iron Maiden riffing thrown in for good measure. They're not the most heavy band. They're not as heavy as Visigoth or Seven Sisters. Kind of folky in places, but there's enough heavy guitar, lead guitar, dual lead, and that type of thing to make sure that they are a metal band. But they're probably one of the more melodic metal bands out there at the moment. I saw them at Hell, not Hell's Heroes, Jesus. I saw them at uh, Keep It True Rising 2 back in September, October of last year, and they were one of the best bands on the stage that weekend. And a friend of mine, Chris, actually put up a post on Facebook and he said, this band, which by all rights should have been booed off the stage because of the lyrical content of their songs, were welcomed with open arms and a fucking raucous reception at Keep It True. And that's the way it should be because they're bloody fantastic. Check them out. And that's what I will say to you. I haven't listened to Witch Hazel before, but in principle, I'm with you. Like, if it's good music, then their personal religion, I I have no problem with that. You know, listening to that obviously doesn't affect me on a personal level. I might not share views with them, but I can still appreciate and enjoy a good album and a good song. So I'm going to go listen to that album. I'm going to listen to Witch Hazel's Three Pentecost, and I'll let you know what I think, because that sounds good. I've heard, uh, I've seen quite a few people talk about them as well. Excellent. And I hate when people do this, and I think it's sneaky and underhanded, but as a bonus extra, a fourth one that didn't make my list, I'm going to say Phantom Spell. That's the side project of Kyle McNeil from Seven Sisters. I just think it's unfair not to mention it because it's so bloody good. But he released his first album there, Immortals Requiem, in 2022. And it's... Well, that's a good one. I'd say, actually, sound-wise, Witch Hazel aren't far off that. So if you like that, I'd say you would like Witch Hazel. Based on the actually, like how the music sounds, very much like very melodic, a bit of folkiness there, lots of uh, really melodic riffing, that type of stuff. So yeah, I actually just want to throw that one in there as well, because it's really good. And I noticed none of us picked an album by Haunt, and that's okay. We've done plenty of talking about Haunt already. That was kind of my thought process in not picking him. Look, I mean, I really like Haunt, but I will say that it's not my favorite absolute style of metal and the albums i picked do represent my like top tier level taste that isn't to say the haunt aren't excellent live and that they haven't released brilliant albums but at the same time you can only pick you know when you're only picking three to me they just wouldn't rank that highly and that's just personal preference but i'd still go and see them at any given opportunity Probably be few and far between because I have to be in America, but or Canada. But uh, right. <laughs> but like you know, I, I I think they're excellent. Trevor's a lovely man, and I'll always follow them and support them. And I have haunt patches on my jacket and many haunt T-shirts. But they to me they wouldn't be 
as much my cup of tea musically as Visigoth or or our Seven Sisters are. But it's not to say that I don't think they're really good, a really good band and a great, what would you say, torchbearer for the new wave of traditional heavy metal as well. Certainly, certainly. Trevor, he's not just well connected to his fans. He's very well connected to all the other bands and musicians in this new wave of traditional heavy metal community. He's got lots of friends and he is a supporter of this whole scene and which as we've been saying it's it's still very much a grassroots scene people mm. and bands and people in the bands they are not at that level of fame where they've become disconnected from their roots yeah absolutely and i think that might be a nice way to finish up this introduction episode one final thing i would like to pose uh, when does a wave stop becoming a wave? Because this has been going for a long time. If you look at the new wave of British heavy metal, no of them, uh, many would say that that started in 1979 with EPs released from the likes of Iron Maiden and Def Leppard and ran till maybe 1983 or possibly 1985, depending on where you like to like to plant your flag. But let's even give it 85. That's still only six years and the new wave of traditional heavy metal has been going for a lot longer than that and is still referenced. And I was just wondering, like, wave suggests that something is going to build up, go, like, run for a while and then crash. And I don't think this has crashed yet, but is can it still possibly be a wave after this long? Who are we to decide when the wave ends, you know? Like, you can only really look at that in hindsight, like, by analyzing, oh, okay, so this is when the popularity dipped. Mm. And this is when less people were listening and the ticket sales went down and less new bands started popping up. But it's hard to kind of see that in the moment. It's the kind of thing you only see in hindsight. And with the level of popularity that we're still seeing from these bands uh, with the new festivals popping up and mm. tickets selling out, it, we're uh, we're not there yet. I would be shocked if the everything just crashed down around us this year and people stopped listening to a new wave of traditional heavy metal or because i think there's demand and i think there is a niche fan base that has been built up that's not going anywhere people are going to continue supporting this for at least a few more years uh, at a certain point it's going to be harder for new bands to break in because there's already so many bands out there that the new ones mm. are fighting for space on stages. That's yeah, that's another thing. Like it kind of it looks to me nearly that it might be a bit saturated at the moment. And it is hard, going to be harder as well for newer bands to get spots. Those elusive spots on Hell's Heroes or those handful of spots that you can get on Keep It True that aren't going to legacy acts. But I suppose we'll see what happens. And I agree, yeah, it probably is only something that you can review in hindsight, but it did occur to me when we're referring to this constantly as a wave. It it doesn't it's seem right wave. because it's gone. Yeah, it's gone for so long. But there you I mean, I don't know, the history of waves. Maybe somebody could point to an example of something to me that went for even longer. Anyway, I think that's gonna do it for this episode. So thanks a million, George, for um for taking part. And we will definitely continue this and with a focus maybe specifically on one or two bands on upcoming episodes that we do talk about their discographies and their place in the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Maybe if we've seen them live as well, we can talk about that. Um, so thanks a million. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And I really appreciate you having me. It's always a blast to chat with you. 
this is a show I like, as I was saying before. So it's a pleasure to be on. And I'm sure we're going to make many great episodes together in the future, talking about some of the best Nuatham albums of 2023, talking about a few bands that have made impacts on us. And mm. I, I got to say, I couldn't have picked a better person to do that with. Brilliant. Okay. And actually, just finally, I think maybe picking some 2023 releases from bands we've never listened to might be a good topic for one or two episodes, because as I mentioned to you, I think before we started recording really was um, I've fallen off the list or I've fallen away from keeping on top. This doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? I I haven't (laughs) been keeping on top of uh, trying to use flary language when I could just say something straightforward. I haven't been keeping on top of releases in the last year or two, except for the odd one. So it'd be good to try out some completely brand new bands to fall into this category and uh, see if there's anything as good as the albums we mentioned just there being released at the moment. Sounds like a plan, man. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, George. Thank you, Fergal. Keep defending the faith. <laughs> All right. So that was episode 81 of Feckin' Metal. Thanks very much, George, for your participation. I really enjoyed that discussion, especially the part at the end about what is a wave and when is it going to crash? Who knows? I suppose only time will tell. But that is going to do it for this episode of Feckin' Metal. I've been your host, Fergal Trainer. I might see you at an Iron Maiden gig. If not, I will see you next time.